Hi, and welcome to Five Compelling Questions with Sean. This is the podcast where we speak with writers about writing, about um, creativity, about inspiration, about how writing career works, all of the things that might go along with talking with a either an established author or a brand new author. Today, I have a very well-established author on, on the show, and I'm thrilled to pieces to have Deanna Rayburn. How are you? I'm great, and I'm very happy to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me. I'm just thrilled. Um, I love you. I'm a big fan. We've not met before. <laughs> I think I think we may have. I think we've passed in hallways at, at points in life, but very we have never likely. <laughs> the Mal- Malice Batchcon, wherever, but um, we have not spoken in person, so I'm just sort of like fangirling a little bit. So I apologize. Oh, that's so sweet of you. Um, thanks for being here. So I'm gonna give you a, a brief introduction for like the two people that have maybe haven't heard of you. Um, New York Times and USA Today bestselling novelist Deanna Rayburn is a sixth generation Texan with a degree in English and history from UTSA. Her novels have been nominated for numerous awards, including the Edgar, RT Reviewer's Choice, the Agatha Award, which is the one we give out at Malice, um, two Dillis wins, and the Last Laugh which isn't a word I need to go look up because that sounds like a really fun one. <laughs> right? Like I was really honored to be nominated for that. I was like, oh, people think I'm funny. That's so cool. I know. it's, it's But that's awesome. So I, I definitely like no lie. I'm going to go look that up and see what other books I can read because I love to laugh. Um, her first contemporary thriller, which is the one we're going to talk about today, is Killers of a Certain Age. Um, and that book chronicles the adventures of four female assassins who must band together against the organization that would rather see them dead than let them retire. And I I feel like that might apply to a whole bunch of people, how they're feeling at the end of of our career. So, um, but yeah, thank you for being here. Can you tell us about the book? Tell us about Killers of a Certain Age. I'm just so excited about it. Well, it was absolutely the most fun I have ever had writing a book. Um, and and that that's actually the goal for me is for readers to have as much fun reading it as I did writing it. It is um, basically just a romp. It's like you said, we have four female assassins who are 60 years old and they're retiring from this, you know, kind of glamorous, but also homicidal career that they've had for 40 years. And they suddenly realized that the organization that has backed them and supported them and paid them to do this is. And so the book kind of follows their adventures uh, as they figure out what to do with this information and how to save their own skins. Very cool. Well, it's a romp. That's a good word. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) It's fun. I mean, it's just it's a you know, it's not. You you want you read it quickly because you just can't stop reading it, but you don't want to read it. I just wish I wasn't reading so fast because I wanted to like luxuriate <laughs> and enjoy it because it's just so fun. And that's um, a but- huge compliment. I, I love that dilemma as a reader, you know, when you're like, oh God, yeah. what happens next? But then you know the book's gonna be finished soon. So the fact that it had that effect on you is is awesome. I'm delighted. Yeah, yeah. And thank well, thank you for providing that experience. So that's a, that's as that is the, the sign of a very good writer, and which of course you are. So um, you've done another really good job that I think we'll see you, we'll be talking about some new awards that are becoming next year. So, um, (laughs) all right. First official question. I love the title of the book. I just, right away, you're like, okay, I need, you know, I got to pick this one up. And I love the phrase, a certain age. And Mm -hmm. I actually will admit that I had to go look that up when I first started hearing it, like decades ago. Like, what are people talking about? Because everyone is a certain age. You know, I'm just such a nerd. (laughs) I didn't understand. 
I'm like, okay, now I know what it means. Um, but I love that people say that and I actually know what it means. <laughs> and I am hurtling towards the 60. It seems like it's going faster. But um, I wanted to ask you, what was your inspiration um, and what made you wanted to tell this story concerning women of a certain age? What would, what would inspire you to tell the, tell these stories from these women? Well, you know, first of all, it's a fantastic title. And I can say that because I'm not the one who named the book. So I can give credit where it is due. Uh, the um, vice president of PR for Berkeley is a wonderful gentleman by the name of Craig Burke. And he started reading uh, you know, uh, the synopsis as it was getting passed around the office. And my working title for it was Hazy Shade of Winter after the Simon and Garfunkel song that was covered by the Bengals. And my, the first thing out of my editor's mouth is you cannot have that title. We're not going to let you keep that title. <laughs> it's not good. Um, and so I knew they were going to retitle it. And I'm, I'm not precious about my titles. You know, I, I feel like a lot goes into packaging up a book to sell it. And, you know, the PR people, the marketing people, the sales people, the art department, everybody, you know, has a better idea of what it takes to get books into the hands of readers than I do. I, I work on the editorial part of it, making sure the book is as good as I can make it. They work on the rest of it. And Craig suggested killers of a certain age. And immediately everybody went, well, of course, of course, that's the title. It's perfect because, you know, depending on who you ask, um, it comes from the French, of course, you know, the, the phrase a woman of a certain age. And depending on who you ask, it's women over the age of 40, women over the age of 50, you know, there, there's kind of a little blur as to what it covers. Um, but I loved the idea of, of, working with women who are 60, because that feels like such a, it's this weird liminal space, you know, where you're, you're not old, but you're also not in the first flush of youth. And if you're talking about women who are retiring, that always brings with it the question, well, if I've done this kind of work for 40 years, and I don't have that kind of work anymore, who am I? You know, who am I going to be for the next, you know, 10, 20, 30 years uh, of my life that I've got to to navigate, what do I make of myself? And and what do I take of this experience that I've had doing this job? And and how do I put that into my into my my new life? And you know, my editor and I discussed a lot the fact that when you're an older woman in in our society, I'm not going to speak for every society, but ours for sure, as women age, they tend to become less visible. And that invisibility actually can be a superpower because if people don't see you, people can't guard against you. You know, people, people don't really think, oh, I should watch my back uh, around this woman with the knitting needles because they're not expecting that knitting needle to get plunged into their carotid. So, you know, it, it kind of gave my assassins this ability to move around um, uh, a, a little bit less obvious of a threat than they would have been otherwise. Um, and, you know, it was it was a great deal of fun to kind of showcase that experience and resourcefulness and this incredible loyalty that they've got to each other and their ability to think on their feet and bring in these decades of um, of work that they've had, that, that all of these things together make them incredibly formidable. Yeah, experience is is way more valuable than youth. I think a lot of times it's like because you're just easy. It's easier to handle things, and they it's not like they have to figure out how to do stuff. They know how to do stuff. You know, when you get to that a certain age. Yeah, um, I know, love you can you can do things without necessarily needing all the bells and whistles. Exactly, 
And I love that you uh, have written and highlighted women of this age, because I feel like that's a, that's not a thing that really happens so much. So, but it's changing. And I, you know, there are a lot more um, novels featuring women 40, 50, 60 years of age. You know, it's nice because it's not, not every, there was a phase there where like everyone was 25 and a baker or something. <laughs> so, you yeah, don't have to do that it, anymore. You know, we are, we are definitely expanding and we're doing the same with, you know, entertainment as well. You know, we're seeing more women who are a little bit older in, uh, in TV and in, in film. And I think the thing that, that has been missing for a while that we need more of, you know, we have stories about women of a certain age who are, you know, going through a difficult time with a medical diagnosis or who are taking care of aging parents or, oh, my husband just left me and I'm a wreck and how do I reinvent myself? But I think what we need a lot more of is women that age just having fun and seeing their joy and seeing, you know, the, the good things that can come of aging. Um, and of these friendships that you've had for four years or these life experiences that you bring with you, because I just think we need a fuller picture of what it means to be a woman who's 50 or a woman who's 60. Absolutely. And yeah, exactly. And it's funny because my, my mother-in-law and my mom are the same age. They're in their early seventies, um, you know, mm -hmm. just turns in their seventies. And they, they both have said to me on separate occasions, not with each other. 50 looks a lot different than it used to look when I was younger. <laughs> it like, absolutely does. I mean, yeah. one of the things that shocked me when I started, uh, you know, kind of looking into older women in culture when I was writing this book is that, I mean, I was an 80s teen. And so when Golden Girls came out, I was absolutely shocked to realize that B. Arthur's character was 55. Well, I'm 54. I don't have a full head of white hair. I mean, I don't, yeah. I mean- it looks so much different in those 30 mm -hmm. years now. You know, we've, we've, 50 is a very different picture than it used to be. You know, I still do yeah. yoga. I can touch my toes. <laughs> I'm 51 and I, you know, in the last five years, I've run two half marathons, you know, I'm running a business. I'm it's exactly. very, it's, it's a vital, it's a vital age still. It's not, I'm not even thinking about retiring. And, you know, I think back then it was sort of like, oh, I'm almost there that I can just, I don't know what they yeah, were expecting. Absolutely. You know, yeah. Life, life expectancy is, is longer now. And, you know, I think everything, it's a lot of different factors, but I think it's also just, we're not done. We're not done just because our children are maybe if you've done the child thing and they're up and out of the house and they've gone off to college or married or whatever they're doing, you know, you don't like your life doesn't end. You just, now you have more yeah, but you can start a new chapter and do whatever. So it's really cool. It's just very, very cool that we don't have to be like shut up. You know, we're not useless after whatever age, whatever certain age it is. We're not useless after that. So it's great. Exactly. Especially, yeah, this is awesome. So, so what was it? Next official question. Now that we've established how awesome you are. Um, what was it like <laughs> moving from, because you're very well known before now as a historical novel, novelist. Um, you've had great success in that uh, subgenre. Um, what it, was it like moving from writing historical to contemporary? Terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying. It was the scariest thing I've ever done as a writer. Um, and, and I have no one but myself to blame because uh, the book actually came about because my, you know, everybody at the publishing office was kind of sitting around one day saying, you know what we don't have enough of are books about kick-ass older women. And, you know, if we asked one of our writers, if they'd be interested in doing that, who should we ask? And my name immediately came up and they, which is lovely. And they called and asked me if I'd be interested. And that was literally the entire brief. Would you be interested in writing a book about kick-ass older women? Yes, yes, please. And I went off and I had a think and I came back and said, 
you know, I'd, I'd like them to be 60 years old and I'd like them to be assassins and I'd like it to be contemporary. And they were, you know, their response was, oh, it's great that you want them to be 60. That's a, that's just a perfect age. And it's so cool that you want them to be assassins. Are you sure you want to write a history or write a contemporary? Because, you know, historical was my wheelhouse and, you know, God bless them. Uh, they let me do it. They took a huge risk because no one knew if I could do this, least of all me. And it, um, it took uh, probably three major drafts to get the book where it is now. And, you know, I would send in a draft and my editor would come back with notes and I would cry. And then I would, you know, have to draft another Veronica Speedwell Victorian novel. And then I would have another bash at killers and I would send it in and she would send me notes and I would cry. And, but every, and, you know, every time we were getting closer um, and I knew we were getting closer. And the hardest part really was developing that contemporary voice because I mean, I've written 18 historical novels. That historical voice is there. I don't have to go looking for it. You know, there's there's no kind of searching around in my back pocket trying to find it when I sit down to write. Veronica's just there. And I didn't have that luxury with this one. I had to I had to go and and find it. And you know, my struggle was that I kept trying to write the book and I would write the book. And then it it just it wasn't clicking and finally one day I looked at this scene that I'd tried about 5 times and I said, "Screw it. I'm done trying to write it." I'm just going to tell it. And so I wrote it as if I were just telling it to somebody and handed it off to my husband um, and said, look, I have zero objectivity about this at all. You know, can you look at it with a fresh pair of eyes and tell me what you think? And he finished the scene and he started laughing and said, babe, this is your Twitter feed. Like, that's your voice. That's your contemporary voice is your Twitter feed. And I went, oh, nailed it that I can do and so for the rest of the book you know I I just stopped trying to write the story and I told it and that's a very very different thing that's so interesting that is such an interesting answer because I was thinking it would be the opposite I thought I was I was thinking because I would I assume not being a person that writes historical that there's so much research that goes into those books I mean they're so well researched and you know the time period and what people were wearing and eating and how they did everything and you know like I feel like contemporary is like oh it's just I walk out my door and that's how I am you know so I would think it would be less oh, stressful you know, but, but not but thinking point, of your particular situation right yeah yeah, yeah at this point sense. I've done so many historicals um and I mean I've been out of out of college for what um 30 30 years 32 years something like that and ever since I graduated from college, I've done Victorian research. And so that is, that's a very comfortable area for me. Um, and that's, you know, I, I do still research with every Veronica book that I, that I write, but it's specialist research to that particular book. Uh, if I'm using uh, a, a special murder method, or if I have, you know, a character who's, who, um, has a passionate interest in astronomy or, you know, something like that, then I have to do extra research. And it's very, very specific. Um, with this, it was almost like there was too much scope and too much freedom and trying to figure out, you know, how do I, how do I kind of bring that down and finesse it into this, this one very specific set of characters doing these very specific things. And yeah, it was terrifying, but it was great. Like I said, it was also the most fun I have ever had writing. I just, I learned so much talking to, you know, like, cause I assumed, like I said, I had had the opposite <laughs> assumption. So um, that's so good to hear that your brain like lives in Victorian times normally. 
And you have to <laughs> you have to teach yourself how to be contemporary. That's I have cool. resting Victorian face. Ide- that's ideal. That's an ideal answer and description of yourself. Uh, well, I don't like <laughs> to hear that you were crying, but now you can definitely say you did the blood, sweat, and tears thing. If you just, you know, cut yourself and bleed on the final buck, and then you can say blood, sweat, and tears. I did it all for this book. I, I absolutely did. And then when I finally turned it in and, and you know, it didn't actually come together fully until the last couple of days, right before it was due. Um, that's when I figured out where, um, because there are a number of flashback scenes in the book and it wasn't until just a few days before it was due that I finally figured out where each of those scenes needed to go. And that meant tearing the book apart because I had had them in different places where they weren't working as well. And once I figured that out, pardon me, then the rest, it, it just like all of it kind of coalesced and I went, Oh, finally it's here. I've got it. And so I, I worked my, my tail off, um, in, in unhealthy ways, like way too many hours a day, neglecting, you know, basic hygiene and barely eating and barely sleeping, but I got it sent in. And, and that time my, my editor called and, and, uh, and said some very, very nice things. And I burst into tears for completely different reasons at that stage. And I was like, okay, good. We finally got there in the end. Okay. Well, there's no crying on the podcast, so you don't get to do that. Oh, yay. (laughs) No, you can, you can, you can do it if you want. You can be the first one. I'd be like, well, then everyone will listen to hear you cry. Um, No, but I'm glad you got it done. But that must have been so nerve wracking to be up against deadline and still moving piece, big giant pieces around that. I mean, that could has to be. Yeah, it was it was terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. Again, you know, the the whole thing was just so scary. But once but here's the thing. Once I figured out where those pieces needed to go, it was just a matter of doing the work there, because at that point I was 100 percent confident in it. I knew exactly what I was doing and I knew that that was precisely what it was going to take to make the book as good as it could be. And so at that point, it was just a matter of, all right, I'm going to push on through and get this done because this has to happen in order for this book to be what I want it to be. And um, yeah, so that was that was that one big last final push. Um, But I think it I think it paid off because the book got where I wanted it to be in the end. Oh yeah. You got to go through it. And it's, but it, and it's such a relief. It's like giving birth. Like I just was talking about with someone else. I was else literally thinking that exact metaphor. <laughs> Cause you said last big push. I'm like, Oh, that brings back memories. Yeah. Right. Like my <laughs> uterus just seized up when I said that and kind of this visceral memory. Yeah. Luckily I'm of a certain age now. I don't have to worry about um, doing that again, but um, I'm not Same. Halle Berry who like <laughs> apparently has babies up until she's 60. I don't know what's happening with her, but she's different. Bless um, her. Yeah, good job. Uh, so this might be t- this might be a tough one for you because it's kind of, it might be like choosing between your children, but we'll see. <laughs> who is your favorite? Who is your favorite character in the book, and what is it about them that you like so much? Do you have a favorite character in this book? Somebody that really you it's know not, that you like spend time with? A, yeah, it's not that I have a favorite. I I love them all for very different reasons. Um, mm-hmm. I I do have a particular soft spot for Billy. Um, because she's our narrative character and she's the one we spend the most time with. So she's the one I've spent the most time with. Um, and that, that makes her, you know, kind of one of my, one of my special darlings, but I do, I do love the others. And I, um, I, I love the supporting characters as well. You know, I had a lot of fun putting those together and, you know, picturing who the, the kind of, found family and co-workers and uh you know support people would be for my four assassins and what that would look like and how they would react to um these women being actual killers for a living 
And uh, that was that was a joy. That was part of the fun of making this book was, you know, fleshing out the the entire cast and just getting to play with them. Well, you, and, and they're all so distinct. So it's obvious that you have, you know, it's, I mean, you're obviously, you're really very good at uh, building characters, memorable characters and giving them a lot of dimension and texture. Um, so I think I would have a hard time choosing to, but I just had to ask. <laughs> I just had to ask. I got to ask the tough questions once in a while. I mean, it's the job, so. It, it is, um, it is. Bring them on. Yeah. Hard hitting journalism here. Sure. Okay. Uh, <laughs> all right. We talked about the Golden Girls already. We, um, we, we referred them where we are of the same age. So we grew up to, you know, around the same time, same time, same influences. I'm thinking, um, imagine this book is being made into a movie or a Netflix series. Um, I had to throw that in. What, who do you envision playing the roles? Do you have actors and actresses? Do you have actresses in mind for the ladies? Who, who would you just off the top of your head? Who would be good to play these roles? You know, this is one of the, now this is actually tougher than the previous question for me, just because of the fact that, um, the short answer is yes, I do have some ideas, you know, physically of, of, of who kind of ticks boxes for me. I, I hate to answer casting questions only because I don't ever want a reader to feel like if they pictured somebody different, that they're wrong. Because yeah. if somebody picks up one of my books and they imagine a very specific face or, um, you know, a very specific way of moving or that's perfect. That's, that's who the character is supposed to be for you. I will say that I have had a picture of Diane Lane taped to my computer. Like the entire time I was writing, uh, there was a picture of Diane Lane on my computer. Yeah. So that's, I'll watch um, her do it. I'll watch her go to the grocery store. I don't care what she's doing. I'll watch isn't it. She like, amazing? Isn't I love she amazing? Her. And, you know, she is one of those um, actresses who's who's looking down a fairly short road at 60. So she's, mm -hmm. you know, she's, um, I think, 58, maybe. She? So she's yeah. she's getting pretty she's getting pretty close to being uh, of a certain age for our yeah. killers. So I don't know. <laughs> She'd be good. Yeah. I always have like Helen, when it comes to assassins, I always think of Helen Mirren because she's played those, but she's, you know, of a certain age, a certain age, a certain age. But I love her too. But um, yeah, yeah there's, there's lots of kick-ass ladies that would, could be, fit these roles. But I like that you are keeping the readers in forefront in the forefront of your mind. That's one. That's very lovely of you to to think. I don't want to. I don't want to mess up anyone's experience. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I I love having readers, and you know, it's it's very much a. It it's be, I, and I think partly because of the fact that I am a reader. You know, I I know what it's like to be on the other end of the book, and I want that experience to be as as individual and as personal and as special for the person who picks up the book as it can be. And I want them to feel as invested in it as they can. Um, and I don't want to wreck that for them by saying, you know, I mean, there are some things that I will be absolutely prescriptive about and say, yes, this is a hundred percent how it is. But when it comes to how you picture characters, that's that's so idiosyncratic. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I'll read a book and then they'll make a TV show or movie. And I'm like, well, that didn't look like the one I, you know, <laughs> I wouldn't have chosen him. I mean, I like him or whatever, but it's kind of yeah. like, eh, that's, he just, he's not my, uh, although the Longmire guy totally is the same guy. So Longmire, <laughs> Longmire, yeah, and like, when oh, it yeah. clicks, when it clicks, yeah. it's amazing yeah. because it's like the casting director got right in your head. Yes. Um, and it's yeah. super exciting uh, to yeah. see that happen. But so many times in adaptations, I do exactly the same thing. I, I just look at it and think, well, I got that completely wrong in my head, but yeah. I didn't. It was just my version of, of what the character probably looked like. So, yeah, we all have different imaginations and influences and, you know, people we find sure. attractive. So, yeah, it's all it's all it's all subjective. 
That's good. All right. Fifth and final. Well, it's not really the final, but it's the fifth official question. Because <laughs> okay. I have five more questions. I always do a quiz after the last question. So you have to, it's Ooh, a rapid fun. fire quiz. You got to do it. Okay. So um, number five, if you could, you're very um, successful. You're uber successful, I would say. You're very talented. Um, you have a wonderful track record of, you know, you multi, multi, multi books, awards and different things. If you could tell your younger writing self anything, what would it be? Would you change anything? And what advice no, might you give to another young writer? Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> to myself, all I, all I would say is it's going to happen. You know, I, from the time I wrote my first book to the time I got my first publishing deal was 14 years. Okay. So I was not an, any, by any measure, an overnight success. I plugged away and wrote probably seven or eight novels during that time, none of which have ever been published. Um, and they shouldn't be, they're dreadful. But I learned a lot about myself as a writer during that time. And, um, and it was, you know, it, it was kind of a, in a weird way, it was almost like a do-it-yourself MFA you know, where, where it was like independent study for 14 years. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, for me, I, I wouldn't change anything about that uh, experience, even though it was incredibly difficult, just because, you know, you do go through the, the occasional crisis of confidence about whether, you know, my, my doubt though was, will I ever get published? My doubt was not, am I a writer? Because I've always been a writer. I've always been a storyteller. And that was never, you know, there was never any crisis of confidence regarding what I did. It was just whether other people were ever going to see it. And so then, you know, finally um, getting published and then, you know, having to, the good fortune to have, um, you know, like I said, 18, 18 books in print so far and, you know, getting, getting some really lovely recognition through some of these um awards and and you know other really incredible things that have happened through my career has very much uh it's hugely gratifying you know when you go that long with nobody reading your stuff uh then to find out that oh hey i i i can actually do this <laughs> yeah 14 years is a healthy span of time. I mean, that's not, you know, that's not a couple of years. I mean, that's a long time. That's 14, 14 years. That's 14 year old child. You're almost, your long, your wait time was almost ready to drive a car. You yeah, know? exactly. Well, I mean, you know, it, it, I wrote my first novel before I had my daughter and, and she was in middle school by the time I got published. And, you know, it, it, like I said, there, there was never a doubt in my mind about who I was and what I do. I'm a storyteller. I'm an artist. I always have been, but whether or not that was ever going to bring me success or ever be recognized by anybody outside my own home was a completely different thing. And, you know, the, I, I am actually, I think just as proud of not giving up for 14 years as I am of a lot of the other things that have come my way, because I can look back at that and say, yeah, I, it took guts and it took, um, resiliency, you know, to, to be constantly disappointed and yeah. to fight back against that and say, it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm still going to do what I do. Yeah. And that's the difference. That's a lot of times that's the difference between people that actually have it happen for them and people that don't, because you just stick with it and you just, you know, don't, you know, I've had friends, unfortunately, friends that just got a couple of rejections and they were like, well, I'm just not gonna, you know, this isn't going to be for yeah. me. And you know, and that's totally their decision, but it's just, you can't, you have to sort of work past that. Cause I always say a no, doesn't really mean that it's not, it hardly ever means that you're not good enough. It just means not, not right now because they don't yeah. have time or they don't have space well, for whatever it is. And you it's know, not we, their thing. 
Yeah. Yeah. And we don't, we don't talk a lot in this business about the fact that unfortunately luck does play a part. There is a component that is just having the right book in the right hands at the right time. Um, and, and that is something that we don't like to talk about because we can't control it and we can't tell, you know, you can't write a book of publishing advice and sell it. If you're trying to explain to people, some of it is just going to be a roll of the dice. You know, it, it's, I, my very first book got published because it, when it, my agent submitted it to an editor who did not acquire historical mystery anymore. And she didn't send it back and rejected it. She walked it across the hall to her colleague and said, wow. Hey, I think you need to buy this book. It's not right for my line anymore because I'm doing something different, but I think you should buy it. That's the only reason I have a career. What wow. now that's a fluke. You know, the fact that somebody took, what if she'd not been feeling well that day and decided, Oh, I want an early lunch. I'm just going to chuck this back, you know, but she took the time to get up and walk 12 feet across the hall. And I have a career. That's right. not something or, you can, you know, yeah. that's not a, the sort of thing that you can explain to someone who wants to write and say, you can count on this happening for you. Some of it is just absolutely um, just sheer ridiculous luck. And, you know, there's, there's, unfortunately, there's a lot of gatekeeping in the business. Um, if you become traditionally published, there are people who have their own um, biases and who have their own little uh, quirks and what they will let through the door and what they won't. And it means that a lot of people who should be published don't get published. Yeah. And it is, it is yeah. absolutely a heartbreaking business sometimes. Um, it is, and God yeah. knows it broke my heart for a lot of years before I got in the door. Um, and it's, it's part of the reason I'm so incredibly grateful to be on this side of it and to be, because I always wanted, um, you know, for people who publish independently, that's amazing. I can't do that. It, it requires so much extra work in terms of doing your own marketing and, and things like that. And I never wanted that. I wanted to work with a team. I wanted to be traditionally published and be able to just hand off a manuscript and have a PR department and a sales department and a marketing department, department do those things because I feel like they're better at them than I am. Um, and that's why I'm, I'm you know incredibly grateful to, to be in the position I am now and to have that kind of support and, and, you know, work with the team to, to get the books out there. But yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a bonkers business. It really is. It's so nice to hear you talk about it that way. Um, and just reassure people that sometimes it is luck. It's hard work, luck, and timing. And those are the things, you know, you sort of have to always have all of those things come together. It's only three things <laughs> come together and then it quite possibly would work out for everyone. But, um, the fact yeah, that you've remained, I mean, you've remained so humble, the way you're speaking, it's, you're just so humble. And it's like, that's just, you know, it's oh, refreshing. I'm, I'm because... grateful every damn day that yeah. I get to do this job that I love so much. And, and I know what I owe and I know to whom I owe it. <laughs> and oh, and so, I, that's so I, endearing. Owe huge, I owe a huge amount to, um, to readers, you know, because of the fact that they, and that's why that's part of the reason that I, I'm very protective of the reader experience, you know, when it comes to, to picking up my books and making sure that they have a good time, because, um, I mean, if it, if it weren't for them, I, I wouldn't have a career. And, and those are the people who pick up the books and they, they ask their libraries to order them and they pass them to their friends and they leave reviews and, you know, they, they talk them up and tell their dentist, Hey, you need to read this. Or, you know, they take them out in public and someone sees them on their commuter train. And it's just, it's um, yeah, it's this wonderful kind of symbiotic relationship that, that uh, I just get a huge kick out of. 
Yeah, I'm the I'm that weirdo that when anyone is reading on the beach, I'm I walk like closer to their chair so I can see what they're reading. So I can see right. What and don't you hate it when everyone's on an e-reader and you're like, damn it, what are you reading? <laughs> is that new book? I like hold open a real book so I can see. You know, what I you're know, up and to. I always <laughs> and I always have to. You know, I'm I'm always that person who's on a flight and wants to lean across the aisle and say, oh, are you enjoying that? I was gonna buy that. Do you like it? You know, and I always have to stop myself because I'm like, not everyone wants to talk about the book that they're reading. Calm down. Yeah, yeah. Most people, most I think readers do. I mean, do but I understand people don't want to just usually when they're like this, they just don't want to. Yeah. Very good. Well, um, now it's time for the quiz. So we have to do a rapid fire quiz. I'm very I curious. Gird, I shall gird myself. Yes, it's going to be very, very difficult and traumatic. Sorry, just kidding. It's 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 not. It's not. But I am curious about your first answer because I've um, had a lot of Texans on the show, and I'm doing a very unscientific uh, query on how you know study on how people how people answer this number one question. Number one, summer or winter? Oh, summer. Ah, I would think that easy, you know, because I have one guest from Texas, and she goes, well, "I live." I live on the near the mouth of hell, so I like winter because she's, she's like I'm well, really hot. I don't, all the see, time. I don't live in Texas anymore though. I ah. I live in Virginia, so I get snow in the winter now. So I I am I am very much a a a heat oriented person. So yeah, it's always going to be summer for me. Okay, good. Me too. I grew up in Florida, so I'm the same. I just kind of crave the heat. Yeah. You get me. You miss it. I'm in Maryland now. Um, okay, number two. Sweet, you did really well on the first one. Number two. Uh, <laughs> sweet or savory savory yeah yeah no hesitation I don't have yeah. a, I don't have a yeah I don't have a huge sweet tooth my mother does and we joke all the time about how you know you wave a piece of chocolate cake in front of her and she is your girl for life <laughs> I would rather use those calories on a piece of cheese and a glass of wine same same exact yeah. my sister's the sweet tooth she's a chef she's a sweet tooth she would come down on Easter morning and just like start shoveling you know the, <laughs> the candy and like I don't do that I like the eggs, I like the I like uh, the hard-boiled egg, the hard-boiled eggs instead. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm the weirdo. So, all right, number three, comedy mm. or drama? Comedy. I knew that I was going to guess that for you because you're so yeah. funny. I yeah. like to I like to laugh, and I um, because I think um, I think being a human being on this planet is ridiculous. Uh, so much about the human experience is just ludicrous, and I it's a coping mechanism, but it's also an expression of of just you know, unfettered joy at, at having this, this life. So yeah, I'd always, and, and even if we're talking about dark subject matter, I'd always rather, you know, kind of spike it with a little, a little laughter here and there. Oh, that's, well, that's such a, that's such a moving answer to that silly question that I asked. <laughs> <laughs> I learned, and I, I started doing this quiz, like the first show, first time I was like, Oh, this will, we'll see if this lasts. I don't know if it, people are gonna like it. But you find out the really cool things about people during, you know, these silly little questions. So I'm sticking <laughs> with it. I'm just sticking with it. I learned all these things. Number four, early bird or night owl? Early bird. I'm very yeah. much a morning. Yeah, I'm a total morning person. Um, cool. I tap out. I, I go to bed every night about nine o'clock uh, to yeah. read and I'm usually asleep by 10. You could be roommates. I wake up. Yeah, <laughs> I wake up around dawn. No, we'd fight each other for the cheese. Like, that's not okay. Um, we'd have like and charcuterie I, and wine every day and we get up oh, at early and right God, and then we go to bed at night bliss right there um and then i like to be i like to be up with the sunrise i like to watch the sun come up i that's my that's my most energized um period of the day it's when i like to do yoga um yeah i've got a little sun trap area in my study uh which is perfect for just doing morning yoga and that's my jam oh so fun 
yeah we're, yeah, we're definitely not, we were not, definitely i'm not one of those glamorous people who can stay up until like i can't go to spain I feel like because I would just be the complete antithesis of all these, you know, super sophisticated Spanish hours. Oh, we're going to have dinner at 11 p.m. No, I'm sorry. That's early breakfast. Calm down. I'm going to sleep for hours. What do you mean? Yeah, no, they're definitely exactly. a different, different mm-hmm. lifestyle, but um, on vacation, maybe, but definitely not on my day to day. All right. Last, final, last, and probably the most important question of the day, coffee or tea? Tea. Oh. I would have, I would have pegged you for coffee late. Is that I got no. one wrong? I've never, I, I've never drunk coffee. Really? It's, no, never, never. Wow. Um, I've always been a tea drinker. My grandmother was English. And so it, it just became like, I distinctly remember being only four or five years old and my grandfather would, you know, make afternoon tea. And so they would, now they would, you know, kind of water mine down a lot. Uh, and it was more milk than anything else. But I, I distinctly remember, you know, Earl Grey, when I was uh, a little kid and just never got out of the habit of it. I drink it black now, but yeah, always tea, always tea. Really? Do you just not, you don't like the smell of coffee or have you ever no, tried it before? It. You just, no, you don't. It. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. My just, husband just hates the smell of it. He doesn't like it at all. No, That's I walk every once in a while. I have to, you know, meet somebody and they'll be like, Oh, let's go to Starbucks. And I'm like, okay, fine. But it smells like double hell broth in there. That's, that's on you. Devil hell broth. Okay, yeah. that's what I'm gonna call Starbucks from now on. That's hilarious. <laughs> You're a good writer. You should write comedy. You need to write for like a sketch comedy show next. Next career goal. Oh God, no! I don't have the patience to do that sort of thing. Bless the people who can. That is that is that is a hard gig. Yeah. Well, you did really well on the quiz. It's really a quiz for me because I try to guess and I only got one wrong, so that's good. You did great. <laughs> well, that was really good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm on point. I thought it was your biggest fan, but I guess I'll need to do some more research next time. Um, so this is a big book. I see, I'm seeing it everywhere. I'm seeing it every time I open up an email, I see the cover of the book and the title. I'm like, oh, she's coming on my podcast. So what is going on? Are you going on tour? Are you, what are your, are you going to do some appearances? I just, I just got back from book tour actually, um, which was super exciting and a great deal of fun because it's the first time I've been able to do in-person appearances since March of 2020. And so that was incredibly exciting to be able to get out there and be with readers in the flesh. Um, And it was all very, very safe. I've come home and tested multiple times and, you know, was able to do that in a nice, uh, healthy, safe way. So that was, that was huge. Next week, I will be going up to New York um, because the book was a book of the month club selection and I get to go, yeah, I get to go hang out with all the cool folks at book of the month and do a podcast with them. And uh, they're doing a very nice cocktail party where I hear there will be killers of a certain age cocktails. I'm very excited about that. Yeah, I know. I hope it's got some red in it because I'm feeling like that would be amazing. Um, and, uh, the book is actually in this week's people magazine. That's awesome. Yeah. Look at you. Yeah. I've seen it. Yeah. I've seen it on Goodreads. <laughs> I'm getting like alerts from Amazon and Goodreads. I'm getting it, you know, every time I'm, I'm like, I'm seeing it, which is great. I'm so thrilled. It's, it's yeah, just a cool it's, thing. And it's turned up in places I never expected like apartment therapy and Buzzfeed. <laughs> and so it's, I'm just riding a wave right now and it's a great deal of fun. And I'm just, I'm so excited that the book is getting out there because like I said, 
I have had so much fun with this book. And I, that is that is the whole plan is for readers to enjoy it too. So whatever's going on in your life, that you can take a couple of hours away and just be with these women and you know murder folks vicariously and get it out of your system and then go back to whatever your real life is and and hopefully you know with a renewed sense of of ass kicking for whatever's going on absolutely everyone needs to drop everything and get this book and read it because it's i mean if you if you are a woman that has reached a certain age there's going to be a couple people that you wish you probably you know in your past that you could you know I wouldn't mind if they I had murdered them, you know, as long as I could get away right. with it and not go to prison and or so anything like this that. Way, this way, you can just do that all vicariously. You know, yeah. you've got some some proxy assassination going on. Get it out of your system and not go to prison. So everybody wins. Definitely. Female rage is all the rage. That's, we love exactly. that. <laughs> I've, we been love mad. that. I, I've been mad for years now. So I just well, channeled it into a book and it was the safest thing to do. So, yeah. Yeah. I think we're all walking around low key, kind of pissed off all the time. So, you know, yeah. And, it's okay. And sometimes it's not that low key and that's okay too. Um, but, you know, this is, uh, this was my way of kind of exercising that. And, um, you know, I, I plan on having the last laugh. So, <laughs> Yes, again. Well, you did it. You did it. Love. You did it wonderfully. You did it um, in a very entertaining so much, fashion. Sean. Oh my gosh, I loved it so much. And I can't. I'm just so thrilled that you were able to come and and chat with us today. Um, Absolutely, so my pleasure. Thank you so thank much for having me. Thank you, and good luck with everything. And we'll find you. And that's Deanna Rayburn. dot com. Right? Is that your? Yep. Website? And I'm okay. on Twitter and Instagram as well. All right. Everyone needs to find you if they haven't already, which I'm sure they have. You've five million followers but um yeah thank you so much have a great day and um can't wait to speak to you again hopefully maybe we'll see you at maybe we'll see you at malice maybe maybe i would love that so fingers crossed okay thanks have a great Sean. rest of your thank you have a great rest of your day bye-bye bye, -bye. bye.